So for those of you who don't get the storyline, here we go. So there was a mother and father clownfish, Marlin and Coral, thank you, okay, Marvin and Coral, and they laid a bunch of eggs, and those eggs got attacked, and only one was left, and this little egg, you saw that him put his fins over, he became Nemo, and Marlin, because of losing all of those eggs, became this hyper-vigilant parent. No one in here can connect with that, can you? Marlon would not let his son really get out of this anemone, this little place where they lived, because he was afraid that if he went out in the world, something really bad was going to happen. He was going to get hurt. So he went to school. Teacher took him out. Nemo goes exploring. He sees a boat. He calls it a butt. And... Uh, What did he call it, kids? Yes. You get a, uh, yeah, you get a chance to say that here. So, uh, not, tell you, blame it on me. Tell you, not, he said we had to say it. So, and, and unfortunately, as he was, <laughs> thank you very much. It's enough now. <laughs> so, and then uh, what happens is, is he gets caught by a, a dentist. He gets taken off to Sydney. And in Sydney, um, he gets put in an aquarium, and he's captured. His father's heart is broken. That's what I want to focus on today in this story, is that the real connection between Luke 15 and the story is about the heart that Marlon has for his son. And he begins a quest to find his little Nemo and figure out how he can reignite the story is kind of crazy in the dentist's office as some things happen and uh, the, the fish collude and the birds help and, uh, and little Nemo gets flushed down a drain and Marlon's coming down you know, through this current in Australia to try to get to Sydney to be able to find his son and just so happens that they meet and they re reunite and he takes Nemo back home and... We all live happily ever after, right? So Nemo had a mindset shift. And I, I think that mindset shift that he had is the most important mindset shift in life that we can have. It's when we change our minds about something. His mindset shift changed about his father. And, and I'm wondering this morning if I ask you a question. What picture... What feeling, what emotion do you have when you think of the word God? What's the emotion that comes when you think of that? And oftentimes it's a human that's given us that emotion. Uh, the Bible uses the word father quite often for God. And unfortunately for many of us in this life, our father is, is not a positive image. Kids, if you're growing up with a dad as a positive image... You don't know what kind of incredible gift that is. You, you ought to say thank you and hug your dad's neck on a daily basis because he's present, because he's active, and he's loving in your life, because he's setting you up for the opportunity to understand that God wants to be your father. 
Jesus told a story in the Bible. In fact, he told the only place in his entire recorded history of Jesus' life, he tells three stories, and they mean the same thing. And I just want to read one of them. It comes out of Luke 15, my favorite passage in the entire Bible, because it's in Luke 15 that I get my mindset, my understanding is changed about who God is, just like Nemo. He didn't think his dad would cross the ocean and face all of those fears just to be with him. But when he was told a story about the, the things that his father faced so that he could find him, something happened inside Nemo. Something radically happened. Jesus tells this story in Luke 15. He first tells a story about a lost coin. Uh, a lady has ten coins. She loses one and she leaves the nine behind and goes to find the one. Then a shepherd has a hundred sheep. He loses one. He leaves the ninety-nine behind. He goes to find the one. But then he tells a story about a son. And that's what I want to read this morning. This is Jesus. Then he said, there was once a man who had two sons. The younger son said to his father, I want right now what's coming to me. Give me my inheritance. So the father divided the property between them. It wasn't long before the younger son packed his bags, left for a distant country. There, undisciplined, dissipated, he wasted everything he had. He bought candy, he bought Cokes, he bought, you know, no, no. Uh, after he had gone through all of his money, so he had half of everything his dad gave him, he'd, he wasted all of it. After he'd gone through half of his money, there was a bad famine in the land. There was no food. All throughout the country, people began to be hungry, and he began to hurt. His stomach got really, really started to hurt. He signed, he signed on with a citizen who was assigned to uh, fields to slop his pigs. He was a Jewish man, and he was, he was taking care of pigs. He was so hungry that he started eating what the pigs were eating. No one would give him any food. That brought him to his senses, he decided, all these farmhands working for my father sit down around three square meals a day. They get good food. And here I am, starving to death. I'm going back to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son. Take me out as a hired hand. He got right up and he went home to his father. When he was still a long way off, his father saw him, his heart pounding. He ran out, embraced him, and kissed him. The son started his speech. Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son ever again. But the father wasn't listening. He was calling to the servants. Quick, bring a clean set of clothes and dress him. Put on the family ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Get the grain fed heifer, and roast it. We're going to have a feast. It's party time. We're going to have a wonderful time. My son is here, given up for dead and now alive, given up for lost and now found. 
And they began to have a wonderful time. The same kind of feeling that Nemo had and Marlon had when this reunion took place is what Jesus is talking about here. He's trying to paint a picture in our minds of who God is. God is, is, is a person who wants a family. He wants you as a son. He wants you as a daughter. But unfortunately, the Bible tells a story that we're like this guy. We've all wandered away. We've all kind of gone on our own way. We've all sort of done our own thing. And, and God wants us to acknowledge him as father. You see, a lot of us feel like we have a spiritual journey because we, we live in a world. We're created as spiritual beings. We're made in the image of God. We've all got all kinds of spiritual things going on in our life. But our relationship is one of a creator and a creature. There's another step in that spiritual journey that, that we have to take. And that step is to know God as a father. To know God as, as someone who will chase across the ocean and find us. God who is moving in our lives and trying to do all kinds of things to draw us into his family. And when we experience that relationship with God, we have the same feeling that Nemo had when he found his father and when his father found him. You see, that's what we were made for. We, we were made for that relationship. That's where we get our primary identity in life. When someone asks, who are you? Our primary identity that, that God wants us to live out is a child of God. That's why when Jesus comes along in John chapter 1, he, he says, look, to, to those who begin to trust in this Father in heaven, to them he gave the right, the privilege of being called the children of God. That opportunity to identify at, at our core level with what it means. So when our brother and sister hit us, our natural reaction is what? Hit them back, right? When I'm wronged, I do wrong. Jesus says, no, that's not, not what happens when you become my child. When, when you become my child, you return love for hate. You, you return goodness for bitterness. You have this ability to absorb the evil in the world because as a child of God, nothing, nothing can happen to us that God can't undo and remake. He proved that with Jesus. Jesus went to the cross and died so that we could be a part of God's family. But that wasn't the end of the story, was it? What happened to Jesus? They put him in the grave. What happened after that? He, bingo. Man. Give that young man another Red Bull. Uh, he did. I mean, it's crazy, you know, to think about this, to, to, to think that, that there are grown, sane human beings that believe that there was a dead person and he came back to life, but that's what history records. And I feel compelled to have to, to trust in that in my life. Jesus came back to life demonstrating that his children, no irredeemable harm, nothing can happen to us as his child that, that God can't undo. And one day he will bring us all 
into his family in a space that Jesus taught us to pray about. You know, in Matthew 6, Jesus taught us to pray, may it be on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Sometimes we call that the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on heaven. All right. So Jesus is wanting us as his family to bring heaven to earth. To take that core identity that he has put in us and, and change our very being. And that's what we see happen with Nemo and when he meets his father. He, he, he's a changed human being. His understanding of who his father is, his attitude toward his father radically changes because he knew what his father would, would sacrifice for him. So I have, a, I have four children. And, um, you know, my second born, oldest son, was um, always kind of a prankster. And uh, kids, maybe this has happened to you before. Uh, you lose your parents. You know, you take them to a store. You take them someplace in public, and they get lost. And, and you can't find them. And you're wondering, wow, what kind of parents do I have? Uh, my, my, my son used to do that on purpose. He, he would lose me on purpose. And... Uh, I remember once we were in this department store and he was nowhere to be found. And we began to look and hunt and, and get crazy about where is he. We couldn't find him. And, and he was only like five or six years old. So it wasn't like we wanted him wandering off by himself. And, um, and, and he, his mother and I, this is you know, long before we had all kinds of, you know, things that they would do in department stores to lock it down and stuff. We're going crazy, and we're running around asking people. They've seen this little blonde-haired kid, you know, and that kind of stuff. All the while, he's hiding in one of those round, circular, or, you know, carousels that hold T-shirts and stuff on it. He's in the middle where no one can see him. And he's up on it. He's standing up on the metal in there so you can't look under and see his feet. He thought this was the grandest thing in the world. But we were petrified that we had lost him. And we couldn't imagine doing life without him. And all of those thoughts about not having him in our family, not having him with us, not watching him grow up, not, not relating to him as he became a young man and got married, had his own kids, all that kind of stuff, all that stuff collapsed into one. The fear that existed inside us was so strong. It controlled everything that was happening around us. And then when we found him, we were elated and a slight bit angry. Kids, you've probably experienced this from your parents. When you, when you actually find them, you know, you're excited and they're excited for a moment and then all of a sudden they kind of come unglued at you a little bit. The beauty of this is that emotion that we find in reuniting is the emotion we see in, in Luke 15. The father sees his son from afar off. He, he's, 
He, he's waiting and watching for his son. Now, did he win the lottery and just pick the right day, or was he looking every day? I think he was looking every day. Every day, maybe he sat on his porch, maybe he went to the edge of town, maybe he knew the direction his son left in, and so he fixated on that piece of the horizon, waiting for his son to come home, waiting and watching, wanting so desperately for that son to come back. That, that's the heart that God has toward us. That's the heart that Marlon had for Nemo. He, he, he so desperately wanted his son to come home. And you know what's interesting in the story here is the son comes understanding that he's really messed up. He's wasted half of his father's wealth. What should his father do? I mean, if he were my son, I'd probably, you know, I'd, I don't know what I'd do. Having him home would be a, a, a blast. But, but my, my human side might want to punish him for that. But there's no punishment here. The father takes all the punishment on himself and lavishes his love on the son. That's the picture that Jesus wants us to have of the father. He wants us to come. You know how, how hard it is sometimes? You, you know people, you know your parents, or you, you know your spouse, and you know you've got to confess something. You've got to say, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done this, I did this. I, I, I've, I've been in spaces where where couples have had to say that to one another about things they've done and violated their vows to one another. I, I've been there, and, and I know that when we do that, we always take into account the person we're apologizing to. And we always ask in ourselves, are they a forgiving person? Do, do they really have a heart of forgiveness? Are, am I really going to be forgiven here if I say I'm sorry? If, if I really... Come clean and admit what I've done and say, I'm sorry, I, I shouldn't have done that. I know it hurts you. I don't know how deeply it hurts you, but I do know it hurts you, and I wish I wouldn't have done it, but I did it. It's done, and I just want you to know that, that I am trying to know what you know about the hurt and the pain. I apologize. I'm sorry. And when we say that, we're looking for that other person. We're wondering, are they more forgiving? Or are they going to make us pay for what we've done? Am, am I going to be counting, you know, the cost of this action for many weeks, months, years to come? It's just human. But what we have here in this passage is a father who doesn't even listen to the son's apology. A father whose heart is ready to forgive. He is already, in Jesus' mind, as he puts the, the biblical story around this passage, he, he understands he's going to the cross. He's going to pay for all of that terrible stuff that that son has done. That's what the cross is all about. That's what Jesus' death is all about. He's, he's paying the penalty for all of us so that we have this opportunity we have this opportunity to freely move toward a forgiving father and be in his family. You see, I'm not sure that Pixar and Disney intended to give us that message, but, but that is a, a bit of an echo of what's happening 
with Nemo and Marlon is we get a glimpse of the heart of our Heavenly Father and how He so desperately wants us to move toward Him to be in His family. I don't think there's any more important message that we could respond to in our life than begin that relationship with God as a father. Figuring out what that looks like. How do I get to know God as my father? You know, there's plenty of stuff in the Bible about that. We could go back to the first half of the Bible and look at the story of Hosea and see again that beautiful story of the love of a husband for a wife who violates their marriage vows and yet he buys her back. That's what God's heart is all about. And that's what he wants us to do is move toward him. In fact, Jesus' brother James says if, if we will draw near to God, he'll draw near to us. So what does that look like? For many of us, it requires a couple of things. One is it requires a relationship with the Father. And we get that by getting our fingerprints on the Bible itself. By learning more about who God is and how he wants to be involved in every second of my life. He's interested in the details of my life. Whether I feel significant or insignificant. Whether I feel loved or unloved. God wants to be there in those moments. And that comes when we get to know Stories like Luke 15 and realize that God's waiting on the edge of town for us to come. Excited, ready to run the moment he sees us and to throw his arms around us and kiss us and welcome us. That's his eagerness to relate to us. The second is, is we need people. God has created us as human beings to be in connection with other people. And we need other people on that same journey. And when we get to that point of having other people on that same journey, it becomes a strength, a safety net, a bond that creates a, a, a kind of, of strength that we never knew could happen. Because for the most part, as, as Americans, we're taught to grow up as individuals. We struggle to know what it's like to have a, a, a social connection that gives us strength and that we can give strength away and in that connection actually two plus two equals far more than the arithmetic that's there. It, it, it means that we're stronger on both sides. So when you watch Pixar, when you see Disney and you, you see these movies, there are themes inside them that are far more significant than we really think. And in fact, I have a feeling that most of them come right from the pages of this book I'm holding in my hand. They're the kinds of stories that come right back to the creator of the universe who is in desperate pursuit of you and I to be his children, to be in relationship with him, and to be actively involved in bringing heaven to earth because that's what he wants to do through us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his storytelling ability. 
his ability to make clear what it looks like to be loved by you. We feel Marlon's pain for not having Nemo in his life when he's lost. And we feel his joy when they're reunited. Father, that is your joy when we acknowledge you as our Father. When you begin the opportunity to, to be a, in a place in our lives where we trust you, we, we know that that doing what you say, that, that hearing your voice and feeling what you think about us, feeling loved, feeling significant, feeling that despite what we think about ourselves and the inadequacies that we have, we are accepted by you. Thank you. Thank you for Jesus. In his death on the cross, thank you for his resurrection from the dead. We are forever grateful that you have pursued us like Marlon pursued Nemo. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.